The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, an open, frank, honest conversation about gambling addiction. We espouse no particular belief on how to get healthy other than it is possible. Joining me as always this morning is Dan Trelaro. Dan, he's now with Epic Risk Management. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you. And uh, from South Jersey, we have Brett on the show. And Brett, kind enough to share his story of gambling. And much like myself and Dan, uh, he is a compulsive gambler. Brett, thank you for joining us this morning as well. Thanks for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. Of course. So uh, the good news is that you're in recovery. Allow me to ask you, uh, how long has it been since you made a wager? 9-11-06. That's a funny date, 9-11, right? We're never going to forget that. Sure. But for me, wow. uh, that was uh, that was my bottom, uh, 06. Let me, uh, let me rewind the cart here a little bit and uh, get back to a uh, time in your life that I'm sure you're not fond of, but when you were gambling. How did it start for you? Were you... Uh, a card player, a sports gambler, a lottery guy? What was your game? So I grew up with sports kind of being a part of the culture and my family and my community among my friends. We played sports. We watched sports. And then we quickly learned that you can gamble on sports. And while we were young kids and there wasn't a a proper venue to do it, um, we created any kind of gambling action we could. I remember one of my best friends growing up in fifth grade Every NBA night, there was a game. We would each recruit three or four players from that night's card, and then we would compare the next morning uh, how many points each of them scored. Huh. And uh, the time I spent the, the, just being involved and, and staying up and listening for the results of the Atlanta Hawk game uh, to see how many points Hakeem Olajuwon or, or Dominique Wilkins scored uh, was exciting, and it got, I got the itch quickly. Yeah, it's interesting. You're way ahead of your time. You kind of were creating fantasy wagering before it existed. That's right. I'd like to take a little credit. For that, <laughs> well, no one's gonna, that nobody's going to give you any, and, and the check's not coming for sure. All right, so, so is it, I mean, that to me is very natural. You know, I remember as a kid in elementary school, you know, someone passing around parlay cards, and, you know, if you could pick 10 games, you'd win, you know, X amount of dollars, et cetera. So I think we're at the same age. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a problem. What, what time of your life do you think you went from you and your buddies doing it for fun to, hey, wait a minute, uh, something's going on here? Um, it's a good question. I had, uh, I had a couple older brothers. They, too, um, liked the action, exposed me to uh, sports gambling, uh, card playing. I mean, as a kid, every Friday and Saturday night from – I would say sixth grade through 11th grade, right. we played poker and we played high-low. We played uh, AC Ducey, uh, you know, we played seven-card stud Chicago, all the great games of our youth. And, uh, you know, it would start, each kid would bring 10 bucks, and by the end, you could lose 100 or two. And it, it, got, it got pretty emotional, you know, you're with your best friends. And the guy's down 250 bucks, and you see tears swelling from his eyes. Right. But we were back at it the following weekend, and uh, you know we we were there with with our with our coins and our bucks, and 
I even remember paying a dollar ten for a dollar. Like there was a, you know, the cash was more valuable than the change. <laughs> I hear you. There's, you got, boy, you got, you guys had the whole thing laid down. Danny, let me go to you on this. Uh, you know, youth gambling, uh, gambling as a kid, gambling with friends, uh, and it's the norm. So no one's got a problem. You know, it's what we do on Friday and Saturday. You know, that's yeah. uh, the, the the story for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Brett highlights something. It brings me back to my youth. That, you know, going to the local library after school or Friday, Saturday night with a lot of change. And, you know, he just hit it on the head. Having those bills really made a lot more. You would you would pay a premium for bills over change. But, you know, it's funny. Like, fast forward now, young people still do that, but they're doing it on social um, social sites. They're doing it with technology instead of in person. So it's, it's the similar behaviors, not seeing the negative. You know, he did kind of say something, Brett. You see the tears welling up, and some people might just think, oh, you know, it's fine, you'll get it back next week, or, you know, you laugh about it. And the person who's starting to feel that kind of way doesn't really know what they're feeling. Like, they know they lost some money, but they're going to be right back at it thinking they just had some bad luck or their skill will get them that money back next week. We still see that today, and that's one of those early warning signs that we start to get concerned about with youth. They just don't see the harm nor do their friends or buddies. Yeah, and you don't know who to go to for help either, which was a bigger problem 20 years ago maybe than it is uh, today. So, Brett, so you're, you're playing, you're gambling on a regular basis uh, throughout your childhood. At some point, you grow up, you, I assume, go to college, get a job, and it becomes a financial problem at first, an emotional problem, a time problem. When you look back on your life and you're gambling as a young adult into a real adulthood, you know, which one of those things or all of them became problematic? I think all of them, Craig. I mean, in college, it was like you talked about earlier, those three-team parlay sheets. And not only was I playing them, but I was distributing them. You know, there's some ego that goes with gambling that you feel like a big shot and you know sports and you know which team is going to be favored and what the spread is and how to how to play the 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 over and the underdog. And all I need is the underdog to score 16 points and I can't lose both. Like we, we got very thoughtful about this stuff and started to believe our own. Um, you know, casinos came next and that was the ultimate playground. There was nothing like having the dice in my hands and getting on a hot roll. It was a high, like nothing else I can describe. You know, obviously, there's a lot of money on the table. You have a good role. You're starting to just every time a number comes up, you're getting the payoff. This is never going to end. And then inevitably, the seven comes up. You watch all your money go off the table, and you're disappointed. Even if you had a good run and you made a lot of bucks, it's like the last that last hand is when they sweep it. And you realize how much money you actually had at risk. So casinos were absolutely, but you couldn't go to the casino every day. Right. I went four or five times a year. I thought it was social, but you know, the juices were flowing. My heart beat an extra beat when I walked into that casino floor and I felt like I was home. So walk me through when did it become a problem and how did that problem kind of manifest itself in your life? Um, I, I, I began a career on Wall Street. Um, in, uh, in, uh, the late eighties and, you know, that was a professional gambling hall and, uh, it really made me feel comfortable. It's where I wanted to be. I love the numbers. I love the action. I love the risk taking. 
Um, and, but I couldn't, you know, I was playing with someone else's money and I wanted to see my own money grow. Right. So, uh, it, it got crazy towards the end. I'm betting every sport, every weekend, every night. Um, I, I tell a story in Gamblers Anonymous that I would go to Kinko's, uh, during the business day and I would roll craps online for 30 minutes. And I'd watch these dice hit the wall thinking that I had control over them. And then I'd go back to my desk and try to do my job. Do you know how difficult that was? The preoccupation yeah. with going back or the money I lost or the action I'm going to go back to at 5 o'clock. And then I'd go back the end of the day and bet 10 baseball games. And then I'd watch the games. I'd watch every inning. I'd watch every pitch. Yes, I'm up 3-1 on this game. Oh, damn, they just hit a three-run shot in the bottom of the ninth. I lost that game. It was psychotic, but it was fun. The juices were just on fire, and the energy I got from it was electric, and I couldn't wait for the next day until the losses started to pile up. Right. So, so if you had unlimited money, you think you'd still be doing it? If I had unlimited money... Like, I'm, I'm assuming the financial pressure of, you know, trying to cover losses and where am I getting money from to bet tomorrow and who am I borrowing from or, you know, maybe even worse than that, am I stealing money? I always wonder if you had unlimited funds, do you think uh, you would have hit your rock bottom? Um, you know, if... I'll talk about the intervention and what happened towards the end sure. in a minute. But I would say that um, the, 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 that Sunday night where you started to um, do a, a checks and balances of your day's performance and you noticed that you went one for 10 in the NFL and you had to come up with $7,500 to pay the bookie on Monday and, and trying to figure out where was I going to get the money. I had it, but I had to get it from a joint account. My wife was going to see. I had to ask someone to borrow. That was going to be embarrassing. I had to, um, you know, turn in my, my gym membership that I just paid for the month before to, to cancel it, to get the cash back that I made. Like, whatever it was, I, I was always scheming and always trying to figure out how am I going to pay this guy to stay in action next week? Right. But the heartbeat, the stresses, the angst that I had Sunday nights, oh, God, please just let me hit the Sunday night game to get me back to even, please. That's why I talk a lot on the show, Dan, about you yeah. know, my concept of be smart, don't chase. Yeah, which is very yep. hard when you're when you're in it. It's I know it's very hard to do that and be disciplined. But that becomes the problem where even if it started off as a disciplined act, it very quickly unravels. Dan. Yeah, it, you know, and it's just I always think about that bailout game. You know, I mean, Brett's just kind of highlighting the bailout game, the feelings, the emotion that's wrapped around just for once. Please let me just get this win. And and I'm amazed at how many times. And probably all of us have gone through this. Betting that Sunday night game almost becomes, or even the Monday game, almost becomes so stressful. You start analyzing things from so many different directions. You're, you're looking for any different angle. You're second-guessing yourself. You're, you, you just don't know. I mean, so many times you'll think, okay, I have a winner, and you change it. And then you, you change it to a losing bet, and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? Armchair quarterback comes into play, you know, the Monday morning quarterback. It is one of the most stressful 
ongoing situations, but what's so amazing about it is you go to bed and you wake up the next day and you do it again. I'm going to let me take a quick break. I want you to finish uh, that thought and uh, your story, Brett. It's uh, hello, my name is Craig, Craig Carton. We have another 10 or so minutes to go. Quick break. We'll continue the story in one second. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. We have Dan Trelauer, of course, from Epic Race Management, and uh, Brett from South Jersey. Brett, I interrupted you there before the break. I'll, I'll let you continue. Go ahead. Yeah, what, what Dan made me think about was I used to pay these betting services for their five-star specials. You remember yeah. the Mike Warrens and those kind of companies. And I would call, and they would say, you know, on Thanksgiving they had their three-game turkey shoot, right? And 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 I was all week I was thinking Detroit, 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 Thanksgiving at home. And then the betting service would give you their four-star play on Chicago. So now I'm like, what do I do? I love yep. Detroit. But I'm paying this guy for his tip. I'm going to go with Chicago. And guess what? Detroit won the game. Like, it's crazy. Dan talked about it. You second guess. I start to handicap games, and then I say, okay, every game I just pick, I'm going to go the opposite because I'm such a bad better. Right. And then you just start chasing and guessing, and you're on this carousel of insanity, and you can't get off. I tell people all the time that if you handicap a game with no interest in the game, you will pick a different side than if you handicap a game with your own money on the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's crazy. All right, so what's the, for you, Brett, what was the uh, that the lowest moment, if you don't mind sharing, you know, uh, uh, the you know, September 11th, 2006, if that was the moment, what was your final moment, like your biggest moment of despair? Yeah, so um, the, the prior weekend, it was late August, I remember um, – playing miniature golf with my son. It was Sunday football. I was down at nice chunk of change and I had a pretty good hit that day and I had cut my losses in half and I felt really good. And then it's September 11th. I'm at my office. I get a call from my wife and the phone call starts you. And I'm like, excuse me. She said, there's someone here at the door that wants to talk about your gambling and he's a federal agent. Wow. And like my heart just fell out of my chest. And I was speechless and I was mortified and I was breathless. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, there's a guy here. He wants to talk to you. And basically what went on is, I don't know if you remember, there was a period of time where they had like these these middlemen that would, would collect the money that would go to the sports book. Right. I, I forget the names of them, but you know, the, the guy asked me, he says like, when you deposited $500, are you sure that they didn't take a thousand from you? And I said, you know what? I, I'm not sure. He says, well, we think there's this huge scam going on with these middlemen. And uh, you know, you're, you're right in the center of it. I said, well, what do you know about my gambling? And the guy said, well, we know you're down about 12 grand this month on your credit card, and you've used Western Union another five times. And I'm like, what? Hmm. Like, they knew everything, Craig. And it was like, oh, my God, the gig was up. So but I went it was so night. interesting. So, uh, pardon me for interrupting. Yeah. It wasn't that they weren't investigating you for some kind of criminal wrongdoing. They were going after someone else and your name popped up as a customer that might have been taken advantage of, yeah? 
That's exactly right. But at the time, I didn't know it, and I had to hire a lawyer right. to say, where are they going with, thing, with sure. this thing? Do I need to be protected? What am I supposed to say? Because I, I should point out for a lot of people, prior to this you know, recent uh, legalization and proliferation of legalized gambling, it was never illegal to place a wager. It was illegal to book the wager and charge a VIG on it. So for people like Brett, like myself, like Dan, who at some point in our lives had bookies or had you know online uh, you know uh, services in which we were allowed to, we could actually uh, place a wager. There was nothing against the law in doing that. The folks that were breaking the law were the ones that took the wages. Just so people understand the difference there. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's that's exactly right. And um, the thing died a slow death. They didn't really want me, um, but they put a little fear of God in me. And, you know, I got a comment from my wife, like, if I ever hear of you making another bet or gambling, it'll be the last time you see me or your children. Sure. And that was my wake-up call. And, you know, it was kind of a divine intervention, Craig, because while it scared the living daylights out of me, it didn't cost me my career. It didn't cost me my checkbook. It didn't cost me my marriage. At least it didn't seem to be at that time. But I got to tell you, it was a long struggle back to build trust and, and to develop that relationship again with my wife that that trust is sure. Did you violated. did you admit right away once the, you know, the jig was kind of up? Hey, listen, I have a gambling problem. Or did it take you a while to really come clean and be totally honest with your family? You know, under the Council of Gamblers Anonymous, which I went to quickly, um, I was told that you need to come clean. And I didn't like that idea at all. I got to be honest. Like, I, I, he doesn't need to know the details, the depth, the chaos, the psychosis that went along with it. Right. But in due time, I did. And I came clean with the numbers. I came clean with the regularity. I mean, listen, she knew something was up. When you're at a brunch on a Sunday having a 10 to one and you excuse yourself to go to the bathroom and you're gone for 15 minutes because you got to find a payphone on first Avenue in Manhattan and half of them are broken and half of them are occupied because there were no cell phones then. And you're panicked to get to your bet and you rush back to the table. Where were you? Oh, there was a long line. In the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it was, it was absolutely crazy. So, yeah. um, uh, I, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but no, just about uh, being uh, coming totally clean with your family. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so I came clean, and and it wasn't pretty, and um, but I but it felt good to get it off my chest. Like I've been carrying that burden for so long. The secrecy, the lies, the deceit. Uh, it, it, it it just tore a hole in my soul, and there was something cathartic about coming clean, telling her everything being able to unload all that internal stress that was just keep building and building and building. And it's been years to earn that trust back, but I feel like now I'm on a path and my life has gotten so much better as a result of it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Dan and I talk a lot on the show that there are a lot of people that are listening right now that haven't been kind of outed yet, haven't had that come to Jesus moment yet, haven't told their family, haven't had a knock on the door well, they do recognize there's something going on that, you know, they're not in control and they need help. And, you know, that very first step. Now, you were kind of forced into it. I was certainly forced into it. Dan yep. was forced into it. Yep. But there are people that are at, you know, stage one of this 
that might feel like it's too much. It's too overwhelming. I could never uh, get to the stage that you guys are at. And I always think it's important for guys like you, like me, like Dan, to let people know, yeah, it is hard. It is scary. But once you take that first step, all the other steps are a little bit easier than that first one. And I assume you'd agree with me on that based on your life experience? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the biggest, the first step is, is, is admitting that you have a problem, right? Then, then you have to accept that you have the problem and then you have to be willing to do something about it. And listen, I haven't seen many people come into Gamblers Anonymous on a winning streak. You know, people are, are, are coming in off of some really bad bottoms, some, some bad losses, some financial destruction. Their family is falling apart. Their career is falling apart. Um, so, so there is, you know, an incredible support system out there for people that are willing to take the chance to say, I've had enough to turn their life around. You know, how can I imagine a life without going to casinos and without Sunday football action? It was almost unfathomable to picture it. But, you know, we say one day at a time, and it's true, you start to recognize that, you know, life isn't any better. It's, there's more drama. There's more chaos. And I have to say that from the day I went into Gamblers Anonymous and I heard about um, the, the illness and the fact that compulsive gamblers can't win because we're going to have a big week. We're going to have a big month. We're going to be up 10, 20, 30, whatever your number is that makes you feel you know, like you've made you know, a decent hit. But it, it never ends there. Right. You make 20 grand and the vision is I'm going to make a hundred. And as compulsive gamblers, we will play until our last dollar is gone. And I was very fortunate that I had the support staff. I got the message. I had family support. I developed friendships, fellowship. Gamblers Anonymous doesn't work for everybody. You know, the ratios are pretty low. Dan, is it three, five percent of people come in actually stay? Yeah. And there are yeah. other people that need additional help. They need rehab. They need private therapy. There's not one size fits all. But I will say to, to the listener out there who's struggling, who's wondering, go to a meeting. Just listen. You'll relate to the stories. You'll, you'll feel like you're in the right place. And the message is that you have a chance to rebuild your life, to start fresh and to live a life beyond your wildest dreams. I, I would say that's uh, the biggest yeah. thing, that if for those of you out there that are you know, trying to figure it out, that think you're unique or you're special or no one else could possibly understand the way you process gambling, you're wrong. And that was my biggest moment when I, because I used to think no one else got it. You couldn't possibly understand how I emotionally or mentally uh, process gambling until I sat in a room and 12 people said exactly the same thing I felt and thought. Um, so, yeah, there's this commonality throughout it, as I imagine there are with, with all addictions. Final thing for you, Brett, for, the, for those people and the amount of open mental space I imagine you have that used to be used up worrying about, you know, gambling and money and all the things that came along with it, I imagine it was probably the biggest, the biggest thing to get used to that, wow, I have all this uh, available space and time that I can spend on good things as opposed to worrying about those things. Yeah, listen, we spend, uh, as, as addicts, you know, we spend a lot of time feeding destructive behaviors. And I think 
you know, the real challenge and the opportunity is to fill that time with constructive behaviors. What does that mean? I think it's different for everyone. Uh, for me, it's, it's embracing recovery with the same energy that I embrace my addiction. It's getting healthy. It's going to the gym. It's burning those endorphins. It's creating new relationships and connections with people where, where gambling is not the only topic of discussion. I have to change my social network. You know, the guys I used to hang with that we would talk sports and talk about action and handicap games and, and handicap the, 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 the Sweet 16 and all the best that went along with that. I had to eliminate those people from my life because we had a lot less in common. So these seem like huge, overwhelming undertakings. They're really not. And you just got to take that first step to admittance and acceptance and then you're, you know, you're on your way. And if you really want this, and I say to the young people that ask me for help, I say, are you willing to go to any lengths for your recovery? And if they say yes, then I'm willing to do whatever it takes to help them. And that is really the beauty and the power of 12-step and recovery programs. People who genuinely want to help another person see their lives improve without any ulterior motives. Yep. Yep. Like that's the thing that just blows you away. Like what's in it for that guy? He just wants, you know, that, that's, that's the real beauty and power of, of, of GA in my case. And, and I owe my life to it. Well, I appreciate you coming on very, very much. We'll let you go here. Then I'll wrap it up with Dan. Thank you for taking the time to share your story. I do think it makes a difference. And uh, if I can ever return the favor, please uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And best to you and your family. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Dan, as always, appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Have a great week, Craig. Thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.